If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. So Mandisa, when did you first become interested in aviation? Oh, wow. So the first time I was actually introduced to aviation was when I was five years old. Um, my mother used to take us to the air shows in Virginia airport and we used to watch them. Um, so that's the first time I was introduced to it. And the first time I realized that I could pursue aviation as a career was when I was 16 and I was doing research about careers in maths and science. And while I was doing that research, I was really quite excited to come across an advert by the South African Air Force. And then since then, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I'd never, ever looked back. <laughs> so, yeah, like off topic, what, what, what was that advert? What plane was on that advert? It must have been like the Cheetah or was it the Mirage F1? Um, they actually, they didn't have airplanes in the advert, it was just the people and the selection process and I remember seeing soldiers and I saw someone on a dinghy um, and they were wearing orange overalls and I was just like, oh my goodness, and then you could obviously see the big SAF emblem with the wings and everything. So at that stage they didn't have uh, airplanes, but now I've seen with the latest application forms they've got the hawk and the griffin on there and i was just like yes <laughs> Get in, yeah that's awesome <laughs> so what year did you actually join the air force i joined the south african air force in 2008 after immediately after completion of my matric which is our grade 12 year um, i completed matric in 2007 and in 2008 i went straight in for my basic military training so Mandisa, was it commonplace or is it commonplace for women to join the South African Air Force? Ah, yes. Actually, I think now with the exposure that the Air Force is getting, uh, we are getting more and more female people who are interested in not only becoming pilots and um, pilots and navigators, but who are also interested in the other aspects. We've got air traffic controllers, we've got engineers. Um, so now I think it's a, it's because it's such a uh, widely accessible career option, more and more women are exploring this field. So it's quite exciting for us. <laughs> Absolutely. And how did you find the application process going through as a female? Yeah. Okay. So at that stage, I don't think I was so much uh, aware or conscious of the fact that I was a girl applying. Yeah. I was just trying to apply. <laughs> And um, it was so hard to get the information initially because um, in Durban, I hadn't seen a lot of people in the South African Air Force compared to like uh, Pretoria where the military is like so visible and, and yeah. seen. When I was growing up in my home time, I, I hardly ever saw anyone from the military. So I didn't quite have the information I was looking for. And I remember going to my guidance teacher and telling her that I'm interested in joining the South African Air Force. And she also didn't quite have the information I was looking for. Um, the first time I got hold of an application from the Air Force, I think I was doing my 11th grade and it was midway through the year. And that was the first time I finally got an application form. So. The, the, the application process, because it wasn't so clear for me, was a little bit long-winded. I kept sending application letters so that they would pay attention to me. Um, and I would send my reports, of my progress reports, so that, you know, like, there's this person in Durban who's interested. Please just <laughs> <laughs> need more information. 
Um, but eventually I finally got a response from them when I was doing my 12th grade um, and having been persistent and, you know, sending those uh, application letters. And then when I finally got the application forms and uh, from there, then I was able to get a contact point, someone who I could communicate with in recruitment. And then they were able to guide me and say, just know, just send us your metric results once you completed with your 12th grade. And then we will see, we will call you for application. And then they had to sensitize me about the requirements to become a pilot, physical fitness, um, you know, a good medical, you know, background, you know, be physically uh, fit. But then also the, the mental aspect is that you had to uh, do a psychomotor uh, test to check your, high, uh, your eye and hand, hand-eye coordination, you know. Um, so to preempt myself for this application process, I used to start like training. <laughs> I used to go on the, uh, to an internet cafe or visit my friend and I used to watch the US Air Force's training program and I used to see like, okay, so this is what I can expect for basic military training. And then I started running. <laughs> like, okay, so I'm gonna be expected to do this many push-ups. Okay, I tried to <laughs> teach myself bank structure. Um, and then there was a, some, a, a one thing that I couldn't quite simulate was the psychomotor test itself, the Vienna test, because we heard so much about it. Um, but I used to play a lot of computer games, so I kind of hoped that that would help bring in, and I played a lot of ball sports, so I kind of hoped that it worked out. So, yeah, the the, physic, uh, the application process wasn't as linear as I would have liked. <laughs> it was very complex, but now I think with the information out there, it's actually it's a little bit better. So, yeah. Awesome. And yeah, let's talk about this. Like what, how did you feel when you, uh, you got the news that you were accepted for pilot training? That must've been like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited. I couldn't stop jumping up and down. I couldn't wait for my dad to come home so I could show him the brown envelope that I got. Wow. And, um, yeah, because when we went for selection process, it was over two weeks. And initially they start with the psychometric test then the psychomotor test. And then we had to do measurements to make sure that we can actually fit the minimum requirements for the cockpit. You have to be able to reach all the controls in the cockpits. Your legs have to be a certain length and obviously a certain height. Um, but then also there was a basic or a minimum weight for us. Uh, which I had to make sure that I stayed above, <laughs> which meant that I had to pull a little bit more muscle. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I was very, very excited. And uh, when we did the, oh, the other one was the medical test. The medical test everyone was nervous about because they had to, you have to do the eye test. And you, with us, the minimum was six to six vision. Um, and I remember some people that you didn't expect would not pass the test were the ones who you failed and you felt very nervous now. You're like, oh my goodness, I hope I'm at peak fitness. I hope I can make it. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, it all worked out. And eventually when we completed from my group, we were 12 people that completed the selection process. And out of the 12, um, we were two girls and one guy who eventually went on to uh, go to the um, to the uh, to start basic military training. But out of all of that, I think altogether there were 400 applicants, and eventually they chose 12 people to start wow. basic military training. So it's really competitive, really, really competitive. So yeah. <laughs> so you must have been good, Mandela. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get on to some of the, uh, your flying training. Uh, what aircraft did you start uh, training on and fly? Yes, we were part of the unique group that started with the Cessna C-172. Um, the reason for that was they wanted to bridge the learning curve because the PC-7, um, as a Tatum trainer, some of the things I, I think they felt that couldn't quite be uh, taught through. So we were part of the experimental group that started on the C-172. Um, I think we did about 70 hours on there, and then we eventually went on to the PC-7, um, which is the equivalent of a private pilot's license for the type of training that we received. Um, and uh, going from the, the C-172, it's really nice because the instructor sits next to you and you can kind of see what they're doing while you're trying to learn how to fly their aircraft. Uh, whereas with the PC-7, it's a Tatum trainer and your instructor is at the back. Um, so the the ground aspect of the flying was much more emphasized because we had to visualize and know what we're going to do in the cockpit because that, that space to see what the instructor is doing is a little bit different. You have to feel what the instructor is doing and look where they say you must look. So it was, it was a bit of a shift. And also the PC-7 had much more power. Um, I think on the Cessna, we used to cruise at 90 knots. And on the C once uh, on the PC seven we would be on final approach, flappers final approach at ninety knots. So <laughs> <laughs> big difference there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the speed was different. The uh, also the flying controls were different. We now had um, you know the control column versus having a yoke. We're flying with our right hand versus flying with your left hand. Yeah. And we had um, a power control lever versus having a throttle. You know, so it was a bit of a shift for us. Uh, but it was a welcome shift because now for the first time we could do aerobatics in, in an aircraft and that was exciting and you know imagine, part of the yeah. aviation is going out and doing aerobatics and doing loops and aileron rolls and stall turns and you know it was quite exciting um so um i really did enjoy it and i think the learning curve continues from um the c172 to the pc7 and then eventually to hop the Learning gradients is, is quite steep, oh, yeah. so you have to be someone who wants to apply yourself and also not to get overwhelmed by the the power, because initially it can be a bit daunting to see that when you put full power, the aircraft Whoa. wants to back down because <laughs> <laughs> it wants to go. <laughs> so you have to step on those brakes and <laughs> be thankful that you're the correct height because you need all of that, that, that displacement to keep the aircraft under control. So yeah, it was it was quite a learning curve, but I welcomed every single step of it. So, I mean, the the first excitement of going solo on the C one seven two, and then the affirmation of going solo on the PC seven is, is it's really rewarding in itself. You know, you're out there by yourself with these machines. It's it's exciting. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And for our uh, PC seven fans out there, what was it like to fly, and what were its strengths and weaknesses? Sure. To fly the PC-7 was, it was really quite exciting. Um, I felt that she was much more forgiving as an aircraft, especially like in the aerobatics um, regime from what I could see. And then obviously there's a little bit more sensitivity, um, which you felt more when we're flying in formation. And also when you're, you don't ever want to, for instance, if you're doing a stall turn, you don't ever want to mishandle her because she gets a little bit sensitive in the, right. in the lower speed. 
the controls are a little bit bigger. Um, but more than anything, she was very forgiving. If you did get yourself into trouble and say that uh, maybe you went into the vertical and the aircraft departs, as long as you have enough altitude, she would eventually recover herself. Um, one of the weaknesses maybe I could mention uh, was that the, because of the torque of the propeller, when you put the power she wants to your, and you could actually feel it um, when you're wanting to take full power on takeoff. So there we had like a, where we would set 20, uh, 20 PSI on the on the top, or if you go full power, you'd need to like counter that with mm. enough rudder to maintain control. So that was something a little bit new coming from the C-172. And it's also something that doesn't exist when you're flying a jet type aircraft, you know? So that was one thing that if you're not quite prepared for the forces that can exist, um, it could take you by surprise. But all in all, she was really a pleasure to fly. Um, she was very forgiving. Um, she was quite exciting. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of weaknesses to mention. I think she's a great uh, avian show trainer. She's really quite great, yeah. Awesome. So how long did you spend on the PC-7 before you moved on to the Hawk? Um, okay, so yeah, we are quite unique because we also, once we completed um, the PC-7, we went off to study various uh, subjects, some of us. Um, so it it did take, um, I think, five years on the PC-7 before, but I had already qualified and we were there as a station pilot. And it was also juggling as well the other studies that I was doing. Um, but it shouldn't take more than two years being a station pilot once you qualify. Um, and then you move straight onto the Hawk. The ideal is that after you qualify, you want to go straight into the PC-7, uh, into the Hawk. Or if you're going to be streamed in helicopters, after you qualify, you go there immediately. So some people don't have that long gap as we did. Um, yeah, normal training is immediately afterwards. You get your wings and you wait maybe two, three months, and then you can go over to the Hawk. So that is part of the training. Um, some people also, we have um, an orientation course, uh, which can be up to six months. And that is, again, it's an enrichment type of thing to add to your flying, flying pocket or tools or utilization. And we're going to get on to the Hawk uh, 120 now. So what were your uh, first thoughts on uh, the Hawk uh, when you first saw it up close? It must have been like, this is amazing. Yes. The <laughs> 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 power of the aircraft and then uh, learning that uh, for us, because now we're coming from an aircraft environment that was forgiving to your mistakes, we had now a little bit of more of an aggressive aircraft that wasn't going to forgive your mistakes, yeah. that was going to bite you if you mishandle it. <laughs> so there was a little bit of a nervousness of, oh my goodness, okay, I don't want to go over the heavy buffet. I have to maintain her over the medium buffets. And then also I don't want to keep her in the vertical for too long because you don't want to depart because she doesn't want to recover herself. You have to you have to be in control. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. And then also when you lined up on the runway and – we go straight to full power. You can feel that, okay, now things are getting it? exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, things happen very, very quickly. And I think uh, initially, 
coming onto Hope from PC7, you get saturated so quickly uh, because things happen so fast. So, and also you don't ever want to fall behind the aircraft because if you do, she can she can run away from you quite quickly and you don't ever want to be that. You want to be ahead of the aircraft and be thinking, you have to be planning. And um, that was a big adjustment was that the ground flying, the chair flying, it, now the demand became even higher than what it was when we were on the, on the, on the PC-7. So the, the, the visualization, the knowing of checks, it, you have to run faster than the aircraft because you never want to be left behind. So that was the biggest thing. And then obviously the flight dynamics of what she was capable of, of what we were doing, that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was now... I think if I can um, compare it to anything, it's like when you have a power drill, you know, if you mishandle that, you can make chaos onto the surface that you're trying to drill into, but more than anything, you can injure yourself. So you exactly. want to make sure that you know what you're doing. So that's what I can compare flying hawk with. You have to know what you're doing. What you're so, doing, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so what is the role of the hawk in the South African Air Force? Okay, so the Hawk is the lead-in fighter trainer. Um, basically, it will form the uh, the introduction for fighter flying, fighter type roles, and that is air to air, air to ground, um, close air support, and all of the roles that the Gripen would be uh, utilized in. We train on Hawk very first, so everything that you learn from Hawk is just a matter of converting over to take it over to Gripen. So um, Hawk is there to train the fighter pilot basically in the South African Air Force and uh, this is uh, I, I didn't put this in the questions here uh, Mandisa but like what is it, the Hawk Air 120 is it a glass cockpit or is it all analog uh, it's a combination uh, there are some analog, uh, analog parts um, but it's no it's not fully glass cockpit it has MFDs and things uh, but we have a heads-up display as well. But it, uh, yeah, it's, I can say it's a combination of, of both. We have a GPS and RS GPS uh, system. Yeah, it's a it has analog as well as uh, some in, but it's not glass. It's not full glass cockpit. No, <laughs> not F thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's uh, yeah let's talk about some of your ground training and how it differed. Oh well, how it was coming from the PC seven was it a massive upgrade uh, into like the learning um, of you know like flight instruments and everything. Yes, um, coming from PC seven, I feel like the ground training was much more how can I say adult based type of training everything is there the syllabus is preloaded and you're it's up to you to go and learn the things um, whereas with ABN initial your instructors they're with you they review and they uh, walk you through the process here it becomes like you have to take charge of this machine and you have to do your best to learn everything about it. The systems are there on the computer. If you feel like you need to refresh on an element, you go and you sit in the classroom and you sit with the computer and you learn everything from, yeah, we have computer-based training. So um, in that result, it was a little bit more automated. Um, and then also I appreciated that the material was there for us to review. We also have books and things. So it's the demand was placed more on the students and less on the instructor. You have to be the one who wants to interact and teach yourself as far as possible. But then the other elements, obviously, like the, the flying and the envelope, your instructor, you have to interact with them, you have to learn from them. So um, it was a little bit more adult based compared to when we were on the PC-7.